Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Jesus took advantage of the Passover feast in Luke 22 because it was his last of such feasts with them. He took advantage of his last supper with them, the Passover meal with them. Not to institute a new ordinance or to improve on the old one, but to point to something greater and to teach us examples. Why? Because we saw in Luke 22 and 14, he said, I desire to eat this with you. Because after this, Next time I will eat it with you will be when it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he could not have been asking them to eat something when he had just told them the next time it will be eaten will be in the kingdom of God. So what Jesus was teaching them could not be the eating of the Passover every time until the last Passover of the redeemed is fulfilled. Right? Let's go back to our text, First Corinthians 11. Verse 20. Go from verse 19. For there must also be factions among you. Remember the word for factions? That those who are approved may be recognized among you. 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then it starts to break down this thing. It says, For in eating, each one takes his supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and one is drunk. In other words, this is how I know that what you're partaking of is not the Lord's Supper. You're selfish. He went on to say that whenever the people gather to receive God's word, they also ate. And this breaking of bread is not the same as the feasts. Because the bread for the feast was special. And we took time to see that. In Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Special bread. It's not the common bread. It was prepared specially for the feasts. Unleavened. The breaking of bread in the book of Acts was not the same bread as in the Old Testament or as in the Jewish custom. And talking about custom, you know, again, as I was thinking about it, I realized that somebody, someone might have walked away who hasn't followed us long enough and might think that we are championing or advocating that the kingdom culture and your village tradition sit side by side, which we have not said. Because we know in this house, Philippians 3.20, our conversation, our citizenship, or our government, the word is actually translated government. Why? In the Greek, government. Our citizenship, our government is in heaven. And what that does is it is a replacement culture. We've talked about that over and over. And because it's a replacement culture, it means that you are not bound by your family tradition. It doesn't mean that you are necessarily judged by doing it. Does that make sense? If there are things you can help, fine. If there are things you can't help, fine. Depending on how strong your faith is. These are things that are part of discerning the Lord's body. The strength and weakness of faith. So the kingdom culture supersedes all other cultures. Let that be clear. So you don't think that we are advocating a amalgamation. Okay. Unleavened bread, therefore, cannot be a spontaneous meal because the bread had to be prepared. Yes, these believers in the New Testament, the New, in the early church believers, were eating and drinking daily. Yes, sir. Daily. 
cannot be a living bread daily. And they were doing this from house to house. House to house, breaking bread. We also went on to establish that it could not have been on living bread because the word used for breaking bread is the word artos. A-R-T-O-S, which can be rendered bread as a staple meal of the Jews. Remember that? It's also rendered loaf, which is why it's also in some cases translated meat. And that's why in English you have such a thing called meatloaf. The word meat loaf is possible in English because it comes from the same root word that means meat or loaf or bread or food. And each time the Lord's Supper is mentioned or referenced, the word artos is used. I'll give you a few examples. Luke 24, verses 29 and 30, and also verses 41 to 43. So as often as you eat together, which is the observing of the Lord's Supper, which is not Passover, remember the Lord's death, which I also hinted on yesterday. Then we went on to establish in 1 Corinthians 5 that the church is the living bread. The church doesn't exist because we helped Jesus to plant it. You know, he told Peter, he said, upon this rock, I would build my mind. My. That's the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. First time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. The person that mentioned it made clear who owns it. Yeah. So I, I, I will build my church. It's his church. It's his church. He builds it. Amen? It's his church. We're the unliving bread. And because we are the unliving bread, I said yesterday when I just started teaching that there are concepts that have been attached in the Old Testament by the benefit of hindsight. So you can look back and say, okay, well, this meant this, but it could also mean that. It's against that backdrop that Paul then, in 1 Corinthians 5, for the first time calls Christ our Passover lamb, not our Passover. So let me confuse these two things. Passover signifies Israel's deliverance from Egypt, right? After the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. Make sense? How did the Passover happen? Kill a lamb, put the blood on the lintel, and on two sides of your doorpost. When I come, I will see the blood. I will pass over. Blood on the doorposts. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Paul looks at Passover and doesn't call Jesus the Passover. He calls Jesus the Lamb that was slain to facilitate the Passover. Does that make sense? This is important because you must also understand the context in which he references the slaying of the lamb. Is he referencing the slaying of the lamb for sin? Because again, we can, we can just conclude. Yeah, the lamb was slain for sin. Or was this the lamb that was being referenced to as the lamb that gave its life to ensure that Israel stayed unharmed? Context. Because again, sin is not mentioned. Oh, did he die for our sins? Yes. Did he shed his blood for us? Yes. 
from the standpoint of what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians, because it's one lamenting, is he referring to the Passover lamb for sin? That's what we're going to investigate. But we see him calling Christ our Passover lamb, right? 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 into verse 8. He calls the church the unleavened bread. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we saw verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Communion is the word koinonia. It can also be rendered, is it not the partaking or the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Then he says, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that bread. Breaking of bread there is not what is rendered Passover. It's also the word artos. You understand? You can check it. First Corinthians 16, 10. Check it in the lexicon if you have a minute. It's the word artos. Bread which you break is the, the verb which have, which have been rendered arton, but from the noun artos. Make sense? This bread or this loaf or this food, right? That's what's bread. So when you say breaking bread here, it's not referring to breaking the unleavened bread. Make sense? It's the word artos. Otherwise rendered, this food we are eating or this loaf we are sharing. Does that make sense? Or this meat we are partaking of. Is it not in fellowship of the body of Christ. I wonder how other translations render verse 16. TPT, the message, NLT. For when we pray for the blessing of the communion cup, isn't this our co-participation with the blood of Jesus and the bread that we distribute as breaking? Isn't this the bread of our co-participation with the body of Christ? Fellowship, right? Romans 15 and 26. Romans 15 and 26. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. That's the word I'm interested in. For the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. The word contribution, interestingly, is the word koinonia, communion. So it pleased the guys in Macedonia. Remember this? He also tells the Corinthian church about the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So he says, please those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain or to partake of the poverty of the saints in Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Yeah. To come into fellowship with them by way of their giving. How does TBD put this? Or NLT? Contribution, that's the word. I'm pleased to inform you that the believers of Macedonia and Greece have made a generous contribution. That's the word koinonia. Or they partook of the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, of course, by their giving. That was koinonia, fellowship. Make sense? Fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. Just so you understand koinonia a little better. Communion. And then we can determine what the communion is. God is faithful by whom you were called into the communion of his son. That's the word koinonia. How does KJV put this? Does it say fellowship as well? Fellowship. TPT. God is forever faithful and can be trusted to do this in you, for he has 
invited you to co-share. That's koinonia. 2 Corinthians 9 and 13 also uses that word. 2 Corinthians 9 and 13, verse 13. While they, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them. The word liberal sharing is the word koinonia. Is it becoming clear? First John 1 and 3, we know this one very well. 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And truly our fellowship, koinonia, communion, is with the Father and with the Son. Hence Paul says we are one bread and we partake or we share communion of that one bread. We are the unleavened bread in chapter 5. Have we established this? We are the unleavened bread in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Let's go back there. No rush. There's one letter, remember? Verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then you come to chapter 10, verse 17. We, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. I'm just looking at this now in my Bible, the footnote. It's interesting. The church is the living bread, one bread. We partake of the bread. We are the bread. We partake of the bread. The body is the bread. The body partakes of the body. Our fellowship, our communion is with one another. You are one bread and you partake of the one bread. Now Jesus is the bread of life. He said in John. But the context of Paul's conversation now in 1 Corinthians it's not in reference to Jesus being the bread of life because the context of this conversation is not salvation. Yes, Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, so we must be careful not to lift a concept from another portion that has a different contextual meaning and come and superimpose it somewhere else where it doesn't contextually apply. Jesus is bread. We know. He said it. But he contextualized it when he said it. Eat me, get eternal life, yes. never die. So salvation. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. Don't now assume. I taught you this long time ago when we dealt with pistis. Yes. Patho, faith. How faith has different applications yes. in the New Testament depending on its context. Yes. Another word that is also very troublesome in the New Testament is the word flesh. Yes. Depending on its context. When Paul says, I buffet my flesh, he's not saying he has weaknesses. He's not saying he has malice and bitterness because he called them works of the flesh. But because he called it works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and 19 and, and 20 and 21, therefore, then he now says, I buffet my flesh. You now say, and people do that. You see where Paul was saying he, he's trying to deal with malice and bitterness and, and lasciviousness. That's not what he's referring to when he says, I buffet my flesh. 
In First Corinthians 9. What he's saying is, I discipline my body. So in that point, flesh becomes literal. Flesh. Body. Does that make sense? When he now says in chapter 15, again, First Corinthians, flesh and blood. We're not inherit the kingdom of God. He's referring to this, this human life. In that point, flesh and blood becomes mortality. Does that make sense? So it's important that you understand contextual applications of certain words in scripture. Another victim of that is bread. Paul could not be dealing with salvation in a teaching to the church. Yes, to believe us now. Cannot. We are saved. We're already in the salvation. It's against this backdrop. I asked something I've not taught yet. Long time ago. I said in Romans 10, 9 and 10, with the mouth man confesses, with the mouth man believes unto salvation. If you believe, you shall be saved. If you stay in the church, you shall be saved. How? Saved from what? Sin, salvation, darkness to light. We're talking to the church. Called saints in chapter 1. Where the hard man believes with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He's telling the church. But you see, again, it's the same thing of just reading into superimposing concepts everywhere those words come up. And that's very poor scholarship. So you must look at something in its individual application. And in Paul's account, it's one letter, guys. One letter. He's not dealing with the issue of salvation. Are we together? Yes, sir. So he says we are one bread. And we partake of that one bread. I don't mean to be pedantic. I don't mean to be nitpickish and finicky. and Because again, I take what I'm about to say with a pinch of salt. But if I were going to be pedantic, if I was going to be OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, I would even go as far as asking you to observe that in 1 Corinthians 10, you see that the one bread is the B without a capital B. But every time Christ is referred in these translations, the mention of him is capitalized. Yes, sir. Like I said, I don't mean to be pedantic and all, but one bread here, if the one bread there was referring to Christ, then him being bread should have said, well, how about you give me a capital B? Now I can read what I have, what I just saw here. 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17. It says, participants at the Lord's Supper represent a unified body that is dependent on the death of Christ. Unified body. Koinonia. The individual members make up one corporate body, the church. United participation as one body at the Lord's Supper points to unified fellowship brought about by Christ's death as well as each individual believer's union with Christ. Full stop. Nothing about sin, forgiveness, uh, great exchange, finished work is mentioned here. And I've just seen this now. But if you just follow the scriptures carefully, it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. The church is the bread. He's the Passover. We are the unliving bread. We partake of one bread. It means that everything for the nourishing of the church is gotten by engaging in the church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You understand that? Yes, 
Our nourishing lies with each other. If you lack something, you lack that thing to the measure of or the lack of your engagement in the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We are one bread and we partake of the one bread. Put it back up in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. For we, though many, are one bread. So the bread being talked about has been defined as the one that we all are. As one. Are we together so far? Now see the next line. For we all partake of which is that one bread? This one. That one bread here cannot reasonably automatically change at this point to become Christ. Or anything else. We all are one bread. Now why is he saying this in chapter 10? Because it is you that has chapters and verses. He just sends a long letter to them. That 5, 10, 20 paragraphs earlier, he had said, you are the unleavened bread. So by the time he comes to chapter 10 and verse verse 17, he says, you all are one bread. It's not a new concept to them because by chapter 5, he had informed them that you are the unleavened bread. So by the time you're reading chapter 10 and says you are one bread, and you say what bread? You don't need to travel out of this letter. Because five chapters earlier, he had explained to you how we are the one bread. By saying that we are the unleavened bread. So by chapter 10, he says, you are one bread, one body, and we all partake of that that one bread. At this point, he has not ever said in this letter that Jesus is the bread. Because he also knows that Jesus being bread was contextual to what? Salvation. And the subject of his conversation was not salvation. So he could not have brought in Jesus as bread of life into this conversation. But Jesus is the bread of life. But that's not what 1 Corinthians is talking about. Are you sure you understand it? It cannot change meaning like that. I dealt with this when I was talking about giving in CCB. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And how in our zeal to defend Jesus and the gospel, we have changed the context of what Paul said. For you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 8 and 9, right? Though he was rich, he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. And we say, oh, he refers to riches and poverty in spiritual things. No, the context of 2 Corinthians 8 is money. Was he rich spiritually and then became poor physically? Oh, yes, no problem. But that is not what Paul is talking about. He was teaching the church how to give material things. He wasn't teaching the church how to give spiritual things. In fact, he told them, you are so good in grace. You are so good in spiritual things. The problem you have is money. So why will he come and be championing spiritual things when he already told them they didn't have a spiritual problem? That's malicious. Because he told them, he said, you are bound in liberty, you are bound in grace. He called all the spiritual things they are bounded in. Then he says, see also that you are bound in this one. For you know that Jesus, oh Jesus, he was rich. He was well to do. He chose to become poor. Context cannot suddenly flip. Let's stop it. Let's stay with the scriptures. Are you here now? Yes, sir. 
So because he has dealt with it in chapter 5, by chapter 10, he says, you are, you, are, you are one bread. If you are reading the letter, you know that three pages earlier, he said, we are on living bread. You know? And then he says, you are one bread. Chapter 10, you're like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, of course, that's what he mentioned earlier. That we are one bread. We are the unliving bread. It's beautiful. But you can't just read one chapter and think that's all. There's a, there's a, it's coming from somewhere. And sometimes you must ignore chapter and verse to get context. The, the guys that split it didn't quite help us so much. Because you read the first verse of the next chapter, the context continued. Why did you break it? Because the chapter is becoming long. Sometimes you must read across chapters to arrive at context. And sometimes the context stops or ends mid-chapter. And a whole other thought just kicks in. <laughs> she must learn to stay with the narrative. Are we together now? So, are, are we one bread? Yes. What bread are we partaking of? That, that one bread that we all have. So the nourishing of the church lies with the church. Do you, do you, do you begin to now respect Ephesians 4 when God gave gifts for the edifying of the church, the building of the body? Because all the church needs to sustain is inside the church. Do you also understand now why your pastor will stand and keep telling you all we need as a people are among us? See, all the money we need as a church is in this room. It's in this room right now. We just have to get used to that money exchanging hands. You have to understand that there's how I patronize Precious's business. That money will come back to me. Because a time will come, Precious will now need what lies with me. And she gives money to me. So in the church, we don't lose money. We recycle it according to needs. Don't think of it as you parting your money. Think of it as just sending your money on an errand inside the body. And you will not ever struggle with giving again. You never struggle with patronizing businesses in church again. You never. You use this person. You know that, hey, when I need, I need something, this person will minister to me. I'll patronize this person's business. When I have something, somebody in church will minister to me. Because we're in the body. Because we all partake. We all commune of that one body. So before we continue, what is communion? Answer me. With one who? With us, between us and we. Do you understand that? Fellowship is communion between we and us. Do we commune with the Father and the Son? Oh, yes, of course, of course, of course. But the context of Paul's submission in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper is communion among the body he already broke his body to put together. So let me go ahead of myself a little bit. When you remember his death, what's the context? Breaking his body to make us a body. Simple. Yes, when he died, he died for sin. Yes, we know. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fact that he broke his body to make us a body. So when we remember his death, remember his death in the giving of his body to make us a body. Hold on. In the same way that the Passover lamb gave his life to give us deliverance. Yes, sir. To make us a people. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Yes, sir. Because if the lamb was not killed... You ain't going to get blood. Blood is inside an animal. Yes. Yes. 
The animal is not giving you his blood until it lays down its life. So blessed be the lamb that facilitated the Passover. And therefore blessed be the lamb, capital L, that facilitated the Passover such that we have now come out, watch this, from the world. Once upon a time, 1 Peter 2.10, we were not a people. So because of the Lord's Passover, he has made us a people. I told you on Sunday what the Passover was, that in Romans 3.24 or 25, for in his forbearance, he passed over the sins that were previously committed. You didn't die because he took it. So the context of that is not forgiveness of sins. The context of that is killing his body to make you a body. It's not right to have translated this to talk about each time you eat this, you eat the body of Jesus. As in his body that was on the cross for you. You have no business with that one. Each time you drink the wine, you drink the blood. So wait, the blood that he shed and took to the father, you are drinking it. You know what you do when you drink the blood for remembrance of forgiveness of sins? You become the father to whom Jesus offered his blood. Do you understand? So you drink the blood. You are receiving the blood of Jesus. Jesus did not shed his blood to you. He shed his blood for you. There's a difference. His blood was not shed to you. It's not you who gave his blood. Jesus never gave us his blood to use. Never. Listen to me. For anything. Never gave us his blood to use. Only a high priest can apply the blood. You are a priest. No problem. We agree. But there is only one high priest. Wait for this. And the qualification of that high priest is that he's the only one that lives forever. So mortality, mortality, mortality cannot do business with the blood. Only that high priest who lives forever could apply the blood. And even him applies only once. Even him applied once. So human being, this 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 this, this one that would die mm. cannot touch the blood. Jesus never gave us his blood to use. His blood was shed for us, not to us. Tell your neighbor. So you are now drinking the blood that you are who? And then you now call it, you then call the drinking of Jesus' blood communion. You know what you have made yourself? You and God are now sharing the sacrifice of Jesus. Do we have communion with the Father? Yes. Do we have communion with the Son? Yes. Is it represented by us sharing blood? No. The blood covenant does not include you. Since you are communing with God, you are partaking of God's blood. Acts 20, 28. Put it up. 
Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of who? God, which he, God, purchased with his own blood. Blood of God. So who is who applied the blood? The high priest. Who received the blood? God. Who partakes of it? God. You don't partake of the blood of Jesus. Mortality. Carnality. The saved. Not the savior. The savior. Not the saver. Drinking the blood. Of Jesus. To wash you. So you. Jesus died. You should now, you're now, you're now give his blood. For you to now drink his blood. So his blood can wash you. So every time you drink wine. You are partaking. I refuse. Are you receiving clarity? And I promise you. As surely as the Lord lives. This light. Before he returns. Will take over the church. It will take over the the nations of the world. We'll receive this light. And we will retire the Passover and embrace the Lord's Supper. As surely as the Lord lives. Are you receiving clarity? We partake of the one bread. That one bread. Us, we partake of each other. Yes, sir. And because we are pure, we can't infiltrate, adulterate, modify, uh-huh. corrupt, or spoil each other. Because yes, the moment we are doing that, we are no longer soma. Oh, the bread we are partaking of is the bread that we are. This is important for the next phase of where we are going. Are you here? So by chapter 11, now, you know this is chapter 10. We are one bread, partaking of the one bread, that one bread. The conversation continues into chapter 11. It's one letter. And then it now comes to this. And we get to verse 20. And it says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. See 21. We all partake of that one bread. The church is the bread. In eating, one takes his own supper. Daipnon. His own meal. Ahead of others. And one is hungry. Another is drunk. It it highlights the one being drunk to imply that one person drank so much he got drunk and somebody else didn't have. Because it's not just volume of alcohol that intoxicates is quantity. The bottle can be can be written 12%. A small shot of a 12% content of wine cannot get you intoxicated. So the volume might be 12%, but it volume plus quantity equals knockout. So it means that somebody sat down and drank like two liters or three liters and somebody else didn't even taste. Now, if we are all partaking of the one bread, it means we're all partaking of each other. Then you understand what I meant when I said that when we eat together, it's not about getting full. 
Why did I say that? Because in this same conversation, just further down to verse 22, we are still at verse 20, but in verse 22, you see he says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink? So, so when we gather in church, it's not to chop belly food. Do you understand it? Our eating in church, our physical eating, is not for you to eat until like, ah, I'm full. Because hear me, at the time you are full, somebody went hungry. Because you have eaten yours and that which belongs to another and you're not thinking about anybody else. You just want to eat. The best test of a person's maturity yes, yes, is how they yes, handle yes, food. Yes, so food is an integral part of the church. Yeah. It's also an integral litmus test yes, for maturity among yes, believers. Yes, so don't you have houses to eat in? So you come and go crazy because of our toes. That is not the Lord's Supper. Are you following now? Yes, sir. Now it's interesting how we have been feasting on what sacrifice belongs to God for centuries and ignored partaking of each other. The sacrifice that belongs to God is one we want. The one we owe each other. Nobody cares. Because we have always believed we are partaking of the body and blood to keep us holy and rapturable. Keep us rapturable. So Jesus goes round the houses of believers, sharing his body and blood. That was broken once. Blood he offered in the most holy place once. He offered it to God, to whom it matters most, once. But he travels the whole world, distributing it in churches and houses. House after house, church after church, communion service after communion service. Trying to partake of what is exclusively God's and ignoring the assignment of Jesus for the church. I'm going ahead of myself again, but for this reason, some of you are sick. Some of you sleep. It's not the Lord's Supper. 22, or do you despise... The church of God, shaming those who have nothing. So when we fight over something as trivial as food, as where to sit, what are you doing? You are despising the church of God, that one bread. Yes, sir. That's how fundamental it is. Yes, sir. And you fight over, we put meat and one gets missing. You are despising the body of Christ. You can't handle yourself around food. You get offended. See how that person's own was more than my own. I asked you to give me extra. You said no. People are doing partiality in this church. It's around food you hear the true true content of a person's heart. Around food you will hear the true content of a person's heart. I will hold you to anything you say around food. The utterances from your mouth, I will hold you to it. If a man cannot say, oh, this this soup, honey, this soup is lovely. 
he will never appreciate anything in your life. Go and check. A man that cannot taste first spoon, second swallow. Ah, oh, this is lovely. Beautiful. Well done, my dear. Oh, guy. You know, even among friends. Oh, guy. Ah, man, this soup is, soup is lovely. I never appreciate anything. Never. I will hold you. Whatever you say around food. What you say around food is powerful. Listen, if you appreciate and discern the Lord's body, you will always find something to appreciate in anything. If the rice does not taste nice, it was soft enough. If it was not soft enough, it was spicy enough. If it was not spicy enough, the oil was okay. If the oil was not okay, the quantity, there's always something to appreciate in anything. You despise the Lord's body. Despise the church. Nothing is good enough for you. Nothing is plenty enough for you. Nothing. Nothing works for you. Somebody dresses this way is a problem. Their skirt is rubbing the floor is a problem. It's above the knee is a problem. So you become a self-acclaimed critic of the body of Christ. The body that he broke his body to put together. The body he declared is without leaven. Is anybody's discernment of the Lord's body growing? Somebody you appreciate and compliment is more likely to receive constructive criticism than someone you are always bashing. You have never slided into somebody's DM to compliment them on a status. So wow, that's beautiful. Oh, great work. I love your hair. Then the moment they do something that you don't like by your standards, you come. Auntie. Because you are despising the church of Jesus. If you have accepted all I've said so far, and this one is the one that is pinching you, you are not wise. Just humble yourself and repent. And I'm talking to the universal church. I'm talking to the entire body of Christ. You despise the church of Jesus. Because what makes us a body is that there is enough for all of us to partake. So I, will, so I will bring a pack of sweets and ensure everybody gets one. Yeah. Bite a little biscuit and give you the next part. Yeah. I'm not thinking about the fact that both our mouths touch the biscuit. We are the same bread. It used to upset me how the pastor is standing with the cup and as he serves it to you, he will wipe it very hardly. Like you can tell he's wiping the last person off. And so as a boy, I will ask myself, what is the merit of your communion if we are protecting each other from it? It's communion amongst one another. What Paul was teaching there was not remembering that Jesus died for your sins. It was teaching you to remember that his death created a body. And as you are born again, you are born into that body. Baptized into the body. That's what he was teaching. In 1 Corinthians, Paul starts off telling them, what is wrong with you? Why am I hearing people are fighting and saying, 
I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. That's how the letter starts. The letter starts addressing schisma. It starts in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians addressing divisions. What am I hearing? So, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Did Barnabas die for you? It's not Paul plants and Apollos waters and God gives the increase. That's how he starts. And then in chapter 2, he starts to now exert his apostleship. You have many instructors or many tutors, guardians. You don't have many fathers for in Christ Jesus. So all through, he's dealing with divisions of one kind or the other. Study 1 Corinthians chapter 3 into chapter 4. Chapter 3, you know, the division is even as far as uh, somebody sleeping with his, 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 his father's concubine. And the church is not even sure what to do. He said, come together, put this person out. That's what brings you chapter 4 and chapter 5. One conversation. Addressing divisions, highlighting unity. All through 1 Corinthians. Goes through hair covering. Because people are are arguing. Some of you are also still saying you should cover hair. Some others are saying you should not cover hair. Some are saying that hair is the covering. Some are saying head covering. It deals with that. Enters this one. Deals with it. Leaves it. Goes into chapter 12. And he starts to deal with, I will not have you ignorant concerning spirituals. Goes through it and then says, I, of these three, of faith, hope, and love, you covet the best gift, but yet I will show you a more excellent way. Enters chapter 13. Deals with love. Love is this. Love is that. Love is the other. Love is the other. In the context of one another. Yes, As he's finishing that, now that I've taught you spiritual gifts, I've taught you love, you are now feeling like you're very, very spiritual, right? Chapter 14. Hey, prophecy as one of the gifts I've just shown you is for exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. If one prophesies, he should prophesy like this. Others should keep quiet all through chapter 14. Why are all of you prophesying at the same time? Why are you not agreeing on who should prophesy, who should be quiet? When a stranger comes in and you're speaking in tongues and you there's no interpretation, how will he benefit them? Goes all the way and then gets to chapter 15. More divisions. By chapter 15, the division is this. People are even saying that resurrection is not taking place. Or it has happened. Or it has not happened. Ah, but if Christ did not resurrect, your faith is in vain. Why are some of you even practicing stuff like, like praying for the dead or baptizing the dead if you don't believe in the resurrection? He deals with that and then closes in chapter 16. One narrative. It's one letter dealing with one issue. Schisma, heresies. Manifesting in many different triggers. Because the church was not one. Any and everything could trigger division. So everything he highlights, he highlights in the context of the church being one body, one bread. All through chapter 3, do you not know that your body is? Chapter 6, all things are lawful, not all things are expedient. Chapter 10, same narrative. All through. Context did not change. So you must have a complete overview. We're in 22 now. You despise the church of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit is asking us now as a church, as a local church, and as a universal church. Do you despise the church of God? Do a rain check, and you will not need to think too far. You will not need to think too far to identify areas where you despised the church of God and shamed those who have nothing. Shaming those who have nothing goes beyond food. It goes to the point of making somebody doubt themselves because you disobeyed their instruction. Somebody tells you, sit here. You say, I don't want to see how you sit here. You make the person second guess themselves. Should I not have told you to sit here? Am I, is it that I'm not enough to tell you? Or maybe, maybe I'm not tall enough. 
Maybe you're not big enough. Maybe you have not been in church long enough. Maybe it's an older person that should have told you and you're here. You make a person second guess themselves. That's you despising the church. Because you're reducing an office to a person. You're reducing a ministry office to an individual. So everybody hears guilty. And the word guilty as used in 1 Corinthians 11 doesn't mean guilty. It means liable to. That means you owe your brother for something you didn't do. Not guilty as in condemnation. The word guilty in that verse, it says you are guilty of the body. The word guilty is not guilty as in you, this, is an, this is a standard. You fell short of it, so you're going, to be li- you're going to be sentenced. Guilty is as in liable or owing a debt, D-E-B-T, to someone in the body. So every time you act funny, every time you do something that, that is a work of the flesh, you have put yourself in debt to the body. You must pay. Otherwise, some people will be sick. Some people will die. Because some joints in this body are not supplying. Instead, they want to eat God's own. They want to eat God's blood to help God remember that Jesus died. Or so God can help you remember. Oh, you're forgetting just died for your sin? Drink some blood. Not even, not even wash you with blood. No, you drink, drink, drink. Many ways we have despised the church of God. I have shamed those who have none. Made somebody doubt themselves. Is it because I can't speak English that you can't listen to me? Think about the time where somebody didn't smell right and you were very repulsed and didn't think to realize that perhaps they do not know or perhaps they cannot afford or probably even from a dysfunctional home where they didn't have a parent to teach them how to pay attention to personal hygiene. Most times we judge people based on where we think we are, what we think we know. Nobody. Nobody taught them. Nobody taught them color blocking. Nobody. And just get up and judge people and look at them. Look at this one. Look at how this one is. You have no idea where they're coming from. What they're dealing with. So there are many ways that we shame those who have none. Many ways. And so because of this, the church is sick and people are dying. Many of you are sick and many sleep. Because you can never say anything good in someone. Ever. You can't take a back seat and Discipline your body, harass your body, and allow somebody. Why do you think Paul would tell the Philippian church, esteem each other highly than yourselves? Because this is what he bruised his body to bring us into. This is what he meant when he said, I will build my church. That's what he meant. Do you despise the church of the Lord? Do you despise the church of Jesus? Does the Spirit of God prick you to... To see the many instances where you have in so many ways. So we break the communion and instead we choose to break his body. Rend the garment, remember? Fall out of fellowship, fall out of communion with one another. Let's finish 22. It says, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? And he says to them, I do not praise you. Because he's not praiseworthy. He doesn't fulfill the Philippians 4-8 test. It's not praiseworthy. There's no virtue in this. It's not lovely. It's not noble. It's not just. So he says, I do not praise you. 
Or rather, I say this to your shame. You get no points for this. TPT. Stay here in the TPT. Don't you realize that you're showing, look at this carefully. Don't you realize that you're showing a superior attitude by humiliating those who have nothing? Are you trying to show contempt for God's beloved church? Contempt. That's a, that's a strong legal word. You're held in contempt. It means you despise something. You strip it of the respect that is due to it. We despise the church of Jesus. We despise the church of God. Most times we're only honorable to people we think we have a stake in their lives. And nasty to someone you don't have an engagement with. Or someone who's, who you have changed your engagement with. If you're honorable, you're honorable across board at all times. If you're favorably disposed, you're favorably disposed to all people at all times. All they need to do is meet you. Have an encounter with you. Do you despise the church of the Lord? And he goes on and he says this. <laughs> oh my God. The scripture I've been waiting to get to. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night he was betrayed to bread. I received from the Lord. Theologians have argued over this. I've told you over and over that from the nomenclature, the sound of his narrative, Paul was saying that what I'm teaching you is what nobody taught me. Now, because theologians have argued for Paul, quoting most likely Luke. Like I told you, Luke was the bridge between the ministry time of Jesus and the ministry time of Paul. There's at least a 25 year, 25 to 30 year gap between them two. So people argue, theologians argue that because Luke was a traveling companion of Paul's, he would have informed Paul of some of the happenings in the time of Jesus, particularly this Passover meal, since Luke wrote about it in Luke 22. And by the time Luke was now writing to Theophilus in Luke and Acts, he was already traveling with Paul. Make sense? Yes, sir. So the argument, therefore, would be that it's highly likely that when um, Paul says, I received from the Lord, he's saying, I received eyewitness accounts of people who were with the Lord, which makes logical sense, but is heavy ACGesis. That's a heavy reading into the narrative of Scripture, what he doesn't say. Logically plausible. Um, Luke was with Jesus. Luke is now with Paul. Maybe he's even writing to Theophilus and Paul is like, son, what are you up to? It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm just popping a few notes to, to this, this Greek guy I'm trying to disciple so that he can be strong in the faith. You know, and Paul would be like, so what are you telling him? He'd be like, yeah, I'm just telling him what happened with Brother Jay when he was around and, and all of that stuff. And then Paul would just borrow some notes. Like, oh, let, let, me, let me hit that a bit. Let me just hit that real quick. <laughs> you know, like, so did, did you say that he was in the upper room and all, didn't it? Like, Upper room. <laughs> what what tells you to say went down there? It's like the night he was he took up. Oh yeah, Judas. I don't need Judas's part. Yeah, Just tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus. He took the cup, right? Okay. Now, if that was the case, Paul will not come and say received directly from the Lord. So it's, it's it's logically plausible, but at the risk of so much. ACGCs, which opens up all of scriptural narratives 
to watch for this, wait for this if you're a movie lover, to alternate endings. Alternate endings. You know? If, 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 if we start to do that with scripture, then any story can go any way and end any way we like it. Movies can have multiple, you can end it any how you like. Alternate endings, director's cuts, you know, bringing the bloopers, you know, just whatever, just rewrite it to suit you. And that po- opens a grave danger. So instead, we stick with the scriptures. Now, again, the reason why these guys have alluded that Paul would have most likely borrowed from Luke is because they did not understand the differences in the mysteries of Passover and the Lost Supper. The, that assumption is based on the fact that Paul was extending what Jesus did, which itself was an extension of what the Jews did. It's based on that, that a connecting dot or connecting dots are drawn between Passover for Israel, Passover on, on the night Jesus was betrayed, and Passover in the, the New Testament church today as supposedly written about by Paul. But now we know what Paul was dealing with was not the Passover. That then will lend credence. That then will then justify. That then will explain why Paul said, what I'm teaching you now is not Passover. This one, I received it from the Lord. I will go again. We have established that Passover is not the Lord's Supper. We have established that what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians 11 is not Passover. We have established what the Passover is. We have established what the unleavened bread is. We have established that Jesus took advantage of the upper room experience on the night he was betrayed to teach a greater lesson. We have established that that lesson is that by his body broken, this body has now come together. Is that clear? And then we have established that if we come together to partake of communion, communion is actually who we are with each other. In the context of 1 Corinthians, it is who we are with each other, not necessarily in this context, us and Jesus. Does that make sense? Because we cannot be talking communion with each other in the absence of our communion with Jesus. That's why we are baptized into Christ Jesus. It's baptism into Christ that brings us into the church, which is his body, which is the bread, which we all partake of. So when we partake of that, and one person eats ahead of the other, one person treats themselves better than the other, or consequently treats somebody else less than yourself, what are we doing? Despising the church of Jesus Christ, because that is not the Lord's Supper. Are we on the same page now? Then the next verse now says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. I then explained that theologians have argued that that I received from the Lord means Paul didn't quite receive it directly from God. But since what Paul is quoting is in Luke 22, and Luke, of course, wrote Luke. And then I also explained to you that this Luke traveled with Paul. In fact, he was with Paul when he wrote Luke to Theophilus. So again, people argue, oh, Luke was written to the Gentile. No, Luke was written to one person. And then Luke also wrote Acts to the same person. Luke was with Jesus as the doctor. Luke was with Paul as a traveling companion. Are we together now? So the uh, assumption in some theological circles is that since Luke was with Jesus and was with Paul, and Luke was there in Luke 22, 
when Paul is writing about Lord's Supper or Passover in 1 Corinthians 11, it is highly likely that Paul borrowed information from Luke. Do you understand it now? That's why I gave you those elaborate examples of Luke writing to Theophilus while in a ship with Paul. And then Paul goes, you know, going from cabin to cabin, saying, how are you guys doing this cabin? You all okay? You all right? And then he opens Luke's cabin and he sees Luke in the table with lamp, you know, writing. He's like, oh, Luke, what's up? How are you doing, man? And Luke says, oh, I'm, I'm all right, Pops. I'm just writing a quick letter. I was like, to who? Like, oh, Theophilus. Remember him, that Greek guy that we met? Like, oh, yeah, so what's, what's that about? And it's like, you're just like letting, him know, letting him know what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Paul like, yeah, let me hit that a little bit. <laughs> you know, so he now enters the cabin. And like, can I just have a quick look? Like, you say about Jesus. I, I like stuff about Jesus. So what happened? And Luke is now telling Paul, like, you know, you know, you were not there, Pops, in it, but I was there in it. So, you know, so it so happened that, you know what I mean? So like, you know, on the night he was betrayed, he now took the cup in it. And I said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood in it. And he now gave them, he now broke the bread like, he just broke the bread like this, in it? You know, and Paul is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what was the bread flat and everything? It was like the bread was flat. They're like, they had leaven, no leaven, no leaven, right? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> You know, I, I, let, let, me, let me underline that. No leaven. Right. So then it's like, it's like, oh yeah, Judas eats the bread. Like, I don't care about Judas, son of perdition. <laughs> I had a story. <laughs> Just tell me about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And then he writes, makes a couple of scuff, folds the scroll, puts it in his skirt, you know, because it's not trouser. It's in his skirt. And then walks away and then closes Luke's cabin. Luke writes the letter and sends it. Paul now comes. Now I want to write. He now said I received from the Lord. Therefore, they say it will mean that I received from the people that were there when the Lord said. And that's why I said it's a problem. Because the moment you start doing that, it means that we can conclude any story the way we like it. Remove the bits we don't like. Just rewrite it and end it how we like. Are we all together so far? Then I went on to say, the reason why these guys will Bring that explanation to say most likely Paul borrowed from Luke was because they did not understand the difference between Passover and the Lord's Supper. So they looked at 1 Corinthians 11 from the lens of Luke 22, which is Passover, but not Jesus celebrating Passover. But Jesus taking advantage of Passover to teach a greater lesson. But they miss that. Look at Luke 22 as Passover and go on and link Luke 22 to Exodus 12, Exodus 13, Deuteronomy 16, Leviticus 23. And then just see it all as Passover, in which case it could not have been a new revelation to Paul. Are we together now? But we that look at it now and see that Paul was writing a totally different thing can then understand why Paul will say, I received what I'm teaching you from the Lord. Does that make sense? So it wasn't Paul repeating what happened in Luke 22. It was Paul bringing out what happened that people missed. Does that make sense? Yes, it was Paul comparing the accounts of Jesus and then receiving insight into it. 
This is what Jesus was saying. Oh. And that's what he said. Like I showed you yesterday. I took you through John very quickly. And showed you how all Jesus taught. He taught in one sitting. Paul comparing these accounts of Jesus. Can now begin to say. Oh he sat here. Jesus sat down here. Had this meal. After this, he took the supper after, but then he washed their feet and then he talked to them about being together. Then he prayed about them being one. And then he took the cup and said, this is my body broken for you in remembrance of me. All right. What he was talking about was the unity of the body. Because he received that by revelation, it came directly from the Lord. The piecing together of what contextually happened. Yes, sir. At Luke 22, Paul received that revelation by the Spirit. And we are not surprised because Jesus himself promised that there are things you cannot understand now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all So Paul, Paul now by the advantage of the Spirit's baptism, looks at the letter which kills but the spirit gives life and says right this is what happened and this was actually what Jesus meant so he can now say authoritatively this one this Lord's Supper I received it from the Lord even though it is about what happened on the night he was betrayed it happened on the night he was betrayed but this one was not Passover because if it's Passover Paul did not have, Holy Spirit, help me, I'm trying to end. Paul did not have a problem borrowing from the law to show you his message. No problem. At all. At all. Nobody, even Jesus, did not quote the law as much as Paul. Paul was a scholar of the law. So if what Paul was writing was drawn from Passover, Paul would have had no problem saying as it is written as you yourself say that's Paul's language as your fathers wrote as the prophet said Paul would have had no problem because he quoted this law sir. referenced it that was his thing that was his method of theological argument so if Paul was writing about Passover he would have mentioned reference to but he didn't because he wasn't writing about it. So this thing he was writing, the gospel, isn't that what he said? I did not confer with flesh and blood. It's not Peter that taught me saved by grace through faith. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you, are you following me now? That's why he will stand in Romans 16 and say, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. Not Matthew, Mark, look, by my, he's able to establish you by my gospel. That's why he will stand in Galatians 1 and say, if anybody, come, even if they're in jail, comes to you with another message, let him be accursed. Why? Because Paul was laying down what he received directly. How did he receive it directly? By studying the law through the eyes of the Spirit. Who is the one that guides us into all truth? Are you here now? Yes, sir. 
It's that I received directly from the Lord. That's when he now goes and starts to look at this thing. He says, ah, ah, hey. Right, this is what it is. Oh. In John 12, he was saying, that, like I showed you yesterday, John 13, he's writing that. And then right through to 14, 15, 16, and 17. It was all one thing Jesus was showing them until they came for him. He didn't say to them, so as often as you drink this, remember that I'm going to die for your sins. Yes, sir. No, it's not something that the church can forget. Are you here now? Yes, sir. So Paul was receiving this as fresh revelation or unpacking of what was there. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Let's continue. 1 Corinthians 11. So now he now starts to say in 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. By the time he's saying this is my body in chapter 11, by chapter 5, he has explained to you what the body is. And then repeated it again in chapter 10. So by 11, by the time he says, this is my body, we know contextually what he's talking about. My physical body was broken for you. Now you do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, remember? Saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. I've explained to you that the forgiveness of sins is the introduction of a new covenant. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, 26, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, katalage. You pronounce, you publicly declare the effect of the Lord's death. That's what announcing means. Not the Lord's death for your forgiveness of sins, but you proclaim the Lord's death as in what that death of his body did. This right here is the proclamation of the Lord's death. Do you understand it? This body of Christ is the proclamation or the testament or the monument that you know what? Jesus died. Look at the results of Jesus' death. Look at the effect of Jesus' death. So every time we gather and share and partake, we are announcing the effect of the death of Jesus. In fact, this is, this, is, this is what the death of Jesus brought about. This is what the breaking of his body brought about. No, and, and this is not, the, we're not talking the forgiveness of sins. It's not, have you seen sin mentioned anywhere in this context? Every time you gather and eat, every time the world looks at us together, every time we are one mind and one voice and one heart, having all things in common, Acts chapter 2, no one thought what was his was his. Every time we do that, we are showcasing, publicly heralding. See, this is what the death of Jesus can do. This is what the death of Jesus can produce. Yes, yes, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Yes, Hallelujah. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that that's, it gets deeper. 
gets deeper in 27. Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. Unworthy is translated from the word that means inappropriate, not sinful. So again, contextually, when you say, I am not worthy, I am unworthy, what comes to mind is a person who has fallen or who has sinned. The word you use is simply reward inappropriate manner. What is inappropriate? Rushing your food. Fighting over food. Getting drunk. Getting drunk. Not minding the Lord's body. It's the same context. It's inappropriate. Fighting over each other. Disobeying one another. Ephesians 5 talks about submitting. First of all, in 21, I think, it mentions submitting to one another in the fear of God before it mentions wives submitting to husband. Yes, so there is a submission that husband and wife owe each other as sons of God. Yes, as sons of God before wife to husband. So if I now come and start doing my wife, submit to me, submit to me as wife to husband and as fellow brethren in the body. I am not submitting to you. You cannot, you wife cannot get me to do anything. We are partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. If I as pastor say, eh, the Bible says, submit to your leaders as those that have rule over you. And then I now become your master and lord over you. And I cannot concede when you say something. I have polluted the church. I polluted the church. Why? Because we owe each other submission. Yes, in the body. Yes, it's from that submission we are sharing. That you can now collect your own as husband. Yes, collect your own as pastor. Collect your own as parents. Yes, Because it's, the, what's the framework? In the Lord. From the framework of mutual bodily submission. Anything outside that is partaking of the Lord's Supper on what they So I say everybody owes everybody repentance. Everybody. That's when the church starts to walk worthy of her calling. I told you yesterday, keeping the feast of unleavened bread is in your conduct, not in eating bread. Let us keep the feast, not with leaven, but with sincerity and truth. First Corinthians 5.8. That's where we'll pick it up. Deal with that, finish that, go into what it means to discern the Lord's body. How this translates to church living, church life, how it translates to church leadership, how it translates to church service. Yes, sir. And how it translates to the believer's conduct, then that church can start to emerge. Yes, sir. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234 70 881 
Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.